Hello, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It's Thursday, July 6, 2023. And uh, let's see, our catechesis will continue in Matthew's Gospel today. It's good to see you checking in in the chat, those of you watching live or listening live. Uh, we've got Vicki on YouTube, Chris, Karen, uh, my mom are on Facebook, Gus and Eileen and Michael are on YouTube. Question about different words to the song? I think so. Um, I am loved by my creator. You can get the words on uh, CPH. I can't remember what the uh, work number is. But a choral setting there. Unison choral sand setting, probably for children. All right. Uh, if you weren't able to join us last night, at some point today, I'll post the sermon. Uh, a little Did something a little bit different. Made a suggestion to you that uh, uh, might change the way you think about um, the visitation, actually. So... Uh, you'll have to watch out for that if you weren't able to be there. Those of you who are there, I hope it was edifying for you. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good. Our psalm for the week. Also the psalm for the visitation. Oh, that's interesting, right? The same psalm assigned for uh, Trinity 4 is also the psalm for the visitation, which falls near Trinity 4. So we prayed it last night. We'll pray it again here. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the, in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay. Memory verse, which was our epistle for last night. Another connection, huh? Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Romans 12, verses 14 through 15. Catechism for the week is the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. 
And our first reading today is from Isaiah, now chapter 31. We're basically just doing sections of chapters here. Uh, this should sound familiar to you because we hear about 100 years later from Ezekiel, the chapters 29 through 32, which we're, we'll be in chapter 30 this week, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Um, is the is actually the judgment against the oracles of judgment against Egypt. You hear about 100 years before that, we'll hear uh, a warning from, from Isaiah. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because there are many, and in the horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall, and he who has helped will fall down. They, will, they all will perish together. For thus the Lord has spoken to me, as a young lion roars, and a young lion over his prey, when a multitude of shepherds summoned against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. Like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. For in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, sin which your own hands have made for yourselves. Then Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of a man, and a sword not of mankind shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall become forced labor. He shall cross over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the, of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. All right, so if you put this about a hundred years before Ezekiel, um, you know about the fall of Assyria, but that comes by the hands of Babylon. You know what happens when Judah conspires against Babylon uh, with Egypt, because we've talked about that quite a bit in our Sunday Bible study. Um, it doesn't go well for them, which the Lord says. And note here, um, the thing that we forget, and I think we do so at our peril, is all the political machinations of man, all of them, whether it's your voting, um, or it's the elite's tyranny, or it's the actions of a king or a queen, or um, the, of mob rule, you know, so-called democratic rule, whatever it is, all of that is used by God um, to guide all history towards its ultimate uh, culmination, which is, of course, uh, the fire and destruction of this world and the commencement of the new heavens and the new earth. So God is behind all the political machinations of the world, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Mm. We forget that at our peril. We think that we're somehow in control of that aspect of our life, even though we as Lutherans are very good um, usually about confessing that we are not in control of faith, that faith is given, it's a gift, um, worked by the Holy Spirit. We're not good to recognize that uh, when we conspire against the, well, when we conspire with worldly power and authority, we're actually often conspiring against the Lord who is working through those things, and he will bring judgment as a result. It's one of the lessons of Ezekiel, I think, uh, for us, is to, is to not see um, political active activity, whether it's activism or otherwise, as somehow um, aspiritual or amoral. Uh, my mother says, think of Cyrus and Darius. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for good or for ill, right? Um, Cyrus and Darius are good examples where um, God used them 
I think, for the, the benefit of the church as a whole, right? Um, and you even see confessions of faith from people like uh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Who, uh, whose God is like, is like your God, right? And he says to the three young men, or for, to Daniel, all right. Uh, this actually helps us, perhaps, I don't know, <laughs> as some context for uh, Matthew 12. Remember, we've been talking about Sabbath and rest, and I think we probably put that to rest, no pun intended. And now we continue with Matthew 12, verse 22. This actually gets back to an earlier theme that we hadn't, hadn't resolved. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or... How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Great. Uh, context is important. Uh, there's two portions of this text that are often have been often misused, again, for political purposes by politicians, um, neglecting the spiritual content of those words, and thereby, actually, whether it's Abraham Lincoln or it's George H. Bush, or was it W? It was W, George W. Bush, um, actually violated the very context of the text and sinned against the Holy Spirit by using it in, in such a way for political purposes. A house divided against itself. Um, that's Lincoln um, in the context of the Civil War, right? Um, and George W. Bush, context of uh, Iraq War, was it 9-11 or Iraq War One? I can't remember. Um, he is not uh, with me is against me, so he said. Of course, then claiming to be Jesus. Hmm. At which point we should have shut him off and said, we're not going to listen to you if you're going to blaspheme God's word in such a way. Ah, but no. No, 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 because we play partisan games, don't we? Ah, red and blue. Better to be an elephant than an ass, right? Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of the text. Now I've set that, stat, that this is not, um, that's why I actually used the image here in the beginning. This image is not what the text is about, where you've got uh, the naturalist who claims that Black Lives Matter and is in their hammock on the one side, and then on the other side you have um, um, freedom and red, white, and blue, uh, and sitting on a different sort of chair, a swing chair, right? As if this is a house divided, right? That's an illusion. That was a division created by the media. Anyway, that's the point, isn't it? Is that what Jesus is really talking about? So, context. First, who do they bring to Jesus? Of course, this sets the stage for the teaching. We have one who is demon-possessed, blind and mute, right, as a result of his demon possession. Hmm? 
who's restraining both his eyes and his speech. Um, so what does Jesus do for him? So the blind and mute man both saw and spoke after he was healed. All right. Now, back to Gen- uh, Matthew chapter 1, of course, they asked the question again. All the multitudes were thamadzoed, amazed, and said, could this be the son of David? All right. Now, why would they ask if this is the son of David? This, we have to go back to the promises made to David um, to understand, right, what's going on here. Second Samuel 7 would be a good example. God, that's where God makes his covenant with David. Listen to what he promises to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. We heard about this in the sermon last night. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now that part you know, right? The eternal son. I will be his father. God will be his father. And he shall be my son. Mm. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. And here's the key. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house and your kingdom will, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Right? So the king, but the king who brings, very particularly, the mercy, um, the mercy of the Lord, and the Lord will be called his father, and he will be called his son. Right? Which turns out to not be quite as metaphorical as uh, maybe they once thought. <laughs> also at play is a prophecy from Isaiah, which we haven't gotten to yet, It'll be Isaiah 42, all right? Um, Thus says the Lord God, or God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. This is speaking of Jesus. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness, From the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Right? And then there's song of praise, and then again, more promises um, in this servant who is going to be sent. Right? Speaking of Christ, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight, the things that I will do for them and not forsake them. Right? They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to molded images, you are gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening ears, but he does not hear. All right. So that's Isaiah 42. So we have both uh, the promises made to David, and then... um, Isaiah's prophecy of this servant promised to David, who would give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. So that's why they asked the question. Uh, People know their scriptures, and thus they can see when the Lord is at work. This is, I think, the key to um, the congregation acting, is the congregation hearing. Um, What happens 
um, to aspects of the congregational life when people begin to fail to listen to God's word, where God's word and his sacrament um, cease to be the center of the life together of the church, then the other institutions of the church, the other work of the church will fail. It does, inevitably. All right? um, but those who are regular and consistent in hearing God's word um, do act in love and, and um, in service to their neighbor. All right? So we're always saying, well, why don't we have more volunteers? It's because we don't have more people at, attending to God's word. Right? Cart before the horse, as they say, or chicken before the egg. All right. So with that said, um, what did the Pharisees <laughs> say that he is? Right? This goes back to chapter 9, I think, when uh, they said he was casting out demons by the ruler of demons. Now they say, give that name. This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub. There's his name, the ruler of the demons. All right? Now that's the context, this spiritual warfare um, is the context for the statement, right? A kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. I suppose you can take that as a general rule of thumb uh, for earthly kingdoms, but Jesus is not using it as kind of a truism that you can apply to everything, right? He's talking about the spiritual kingdom, right? In particular, he wants us to use it that way or to think of it that way. Uh, a kingdom or a city cast or divided against itself cannot stand. This is why. Um, those who are promoting um, polarity, uh, I saw a stat uh, this morning that uh, only 4% of Democrats would marry a Republican. <laughs> 4%. Right, now, if you want to talk about polarity or binary or um, um, just extremism, and you can talk about right-wing extremism. How's that for left-wing extremism? It's all extreme. It's like, well, what do we actually have in common? Is it, these, is it our political machinations? No, of course not. Why is that being used to divide us unless to conquer? You see? Divide and then conquer. Every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Right? So what do we actually have in common? What can we agree upon? Right? And that has to be the basis of any kind of institution, civil government or otherwise. Right? Now here it's in the case of spiritual warfare. Right? Does Satan want to cast himself out? According to Jesus, it <laughs> doesn't seem to be the case. Um, now, we read an um, interesting work from Rene Girard on a Banned Books podcast last week. You can go watch or listen to that. Go search out, search out the podcast, uh, where Girard suggested that Satan does it both ways. Well, I think that's an interesting idea, right? That uh, sometimes he gives the illusion of domination. Other times he gives the illusion or seduction, seduces by chaos. Sometimes chaos, sometimes order. Mm, and I have to, I'm still wrestling with that idea. Here, Jesus, though, is saying, what? How can the order of Satan's kingdom stand if Satan is against himself? Right? Of course, he does he want to cast himself out? Uh, not if he wants to maintain the order of the kingdom. Right? Then there's this other question about the authority of the Pharisees. But wait a minute. If your sons, that is, the sons of the prophets, think other Pharisees are casting out demons, would they not be also casting them out by Beelzebub then? <laughs> What, what authority did they use to cast out demons? Hmm. Okay, then Jesus actually speaks of the authority he has, which is the, the authority of the Spirit of God, right? God the, God the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from both he and the Father. All right. Uh, and then we have this picture of um, a strong man, right? And we'll hear this uh, in a gospel text coming up. If the strong man, um, one stronger, so the stronger man conquers the strong man, Satan, and ties him up, binds him, Okay, so the stronger man would be Jesus, who binds Satan. 
uh, and plunders his house, what does that mean? Jesus is taking out those held captivity in held in captivity to the demonic to Satan. Okay, um, so in other words, as Jesus says in verse thirty, there is no middle ground, no gray area when it comes to that binary, which is um, either you are held captive by Satan and demo- and the demonic false teaching, ultimately false words, or you're held captive by Jesus. You're held your your imagination. Your being, your heart is is captive to the Word of God. See, either Christ or Satan. That's the context, um, and I. That's why I think, going back to what I said at the beginning, why uh, uh, George Jr. used this text because he wanted to present the war that America was going to go fight at his insti- instigation to um, as a kind of spiritual warfare. That's why he evoked this language as if it was a spiritual battle for the spirit of America or something like that, which of course isn't of a false spirit. The spirit of America is not the Holy Spirit, right? And we don't go to, we're not called to go to spiritual war. Uh, we're not a uh, religious institution, for example. We're not, we're not the church, right? Different kind of warfare. Mm-hmm. You see how this gets misused then, this sort of language and, and idea, right? And all of that, to misuse that text that way then, to speak contrary you know, to that this is actually the highest form of warfare, which is um, Jesus binding the strong man, the devil, to set you free and be held then into the into the flock of God and the captivity of Jesus, right? Is blasphemy speaking against God's word, right? And so, so ironically, in the context, then those who have misused this text is speak are speaking against the Holy Spirit, and whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit is not saved. According to Jesus here, right? To speak against uh, the work of the Spirit is to, or to misuse God's word in such a way that is to sin against the Spirit, um, is to claim not to be saved by faith in Christ alone. And uh, there is not forgiven hmm. in this age or the age to come. All right, so be careful how you use Scripture. Hmm? Applying the word of God rightly. That doesn't mean you should be afraid of the Scripture, uh, but pray that the Spirit uh, speak and not your heart, and how you would misuse it. All right, so let's pray, uh, or meditate on the text, I should say. Only the son of David could bring a kingdom where sight was restored and speech given. As Solomon's kingdom had been one of peace, so now the son of David brings the kingdom of peace that passes all human understanding, as he pours out the Holy Spirit upon his church. Heard about that last night. Christ has come to bind the strong man, the devil, and bring the captives out of his house. It is those are to these captives that Jesus gives the spirit of freedom. That spirit will testify to Christ alone in order to call people to faith. To speak against the Holy Spirit is to live in unbelief and so cannot be forgiven. For unbelief always rejects the forgiveness which has been won by Christ. All right, so maybe Lincoln was a little bit better because he did, um, he did ask that we forgive our countrymen, right? So he had that part right. Uh, Chris makes a comment. We just uh, be, need to be calm for the Lord is in control. Um, yeah, I think we can be content or calm, but I don't think we're called to passivity. I talked about that yesterday. The need for constant vigilance or diligence. That's not um, tension or anxiety or worry. It's constantly to be on guard and to, uh, and to reprove, correct, um, parry, if you like, away false teaching and error in this world. All right? To be on, on constant guard. That doesn't mean you always have to be, um, you know, under stress, so to speak, but rather 
uh, that you keep God's word ready and at hand and uh, feel free to speak it in any and all circumstance. Okay. Um, because that's how God actually exercises control in this world. Huh? Yes, sometimes supernaturally, but generally naturally through us, who he has called uh, to such vocational action. All right. I want to talk about um, stanza four a little bit here. I've been thinking about congregational life and what uh, life in the church might look like. I had a conversation with a brother pastor, and uh, we were asking, you know, what what we could do. He's a circuit visitor. What he could do within his circuit to uh, improve the fraternity, right? And I think stanza four gets us there. Lord, let me win my foes with kindly words and actions, and let me find good friends for counsel and correction. Help me, as you have taught, to love both great and small, and by your Spirit's might to live in peace with all. Right. So the Spirit is the one who gives peace, um, regardless of um, rich or middle class or poor, or um, great or small, significant or insignificant. Right. What do we want? Good friends for two things. Counsel, that's direction, if you like, and correction, right? To reprove us or to correct us when we go astray. Right? So in other words, we can't do it alone. Hmm. Um, and nor can you win your foes alone, right? So um, unfortunately, it seems that, I think this is a cultural thing, it's part of our milieu, our general cultural context, is that people, um, even in our congregation, think that the faith is only personal. Well, it is personal, but it's not only personal. It is also corporate. And uh, especially during the summer months, I note, note this, is that uh, you know absenteeism is, is a pretty significant thing. Um, people are traveling or doing other things. Um, but the problem is, is that as we heard la- or last week, no, two weeks ago, when it comes to the lost sheep, what happened? That sheep strayed from the flock. So when that individual who has faith in the shepherd, no doubt, um, but chooses to go it alone, away from um, the counsel and correction of good friends, that would be the Christian congregation. Uh, that's what makes them easy pickings. Um, so that, this begs the question then, is how does a Christian congregation bring about um, or, or act with kindly words and actions and bring about counsel and correction for one another? Unless we're in conversation with each other, right? And I think that's an area that mm, is a little bit more difficult to manage. Mostly because the divine service is a, is, has a preaching office, which is not all that interactive. Bible study offers some opportunity for conversation, although um, not as much as we'd like. I think uh, what, uh, what the hymn writer had in mind, Hermann, is that, that's his name, Hermann, is that uh, we would be working in collaboration with one another in other ways as well. All right. So let's sing the first few stanzas of this, and then we'll continue. Conscience free from blame, a 
Part of the hymn, we'll sing some more later this week. Uh, let's see. Today we do have a commemoration, and it is the prophet Isaiah. So it's fitting we've been reading Isaiah here these weeks. We, with thanks and praise to God, we today remember the holy prophet Isaiah. Among the writing prophets, surely none is greater or more beloved than Isaiah. He prophesied in the southern kingdom, particularly in Jerusalem, from about 740 to 700. He was thus a contemporary of other 8th century prophets, Amos, Hosea, and Micah. The corpus of Isaiah's writing, however, is far larger than all theirs combined. He wrote the longest prophecy in the entire canon. Although Isaiah clearly addressed the contemporary issues of Judah's idolatry and her attempt to substitute military savvy for trust in the Lord, we talked about that, his writings look beyond the current challenges toward the time of the promised Messiah and the fulfillment of his kingdom. This is a reminder that God in the flesh is the answer to the pressing problems that continue to surround and plague the people of God. Isaiah is cited more than any other prophet in the pages of the New Testament. He foretells the birth of the Messiah from a virgin and his identity as Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 7. He plums the mystery of the divine person who becomes a human child, Isaiah 9. Christian art usually depicts the ox and the donkey at the manger in which the Christ child lays because Isaiah promised or proclaimed that the ox knew its owner and the donkey its master's crib, Isaiah 1. He predicts the visit of the Magi, Isaiah 60. He foretells the ministry and work of St. John the Baptist, Isaiah 40. He foretells the mighty miracles that our Lord would perform among mankind, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, Isaiah 35, we heard that today, and these miracles largely transpiring in Galilee, Isaiah 9. He predicts and explains the purpose of the passion of our Lord and his resurrection in amazing detail, Isaiah 53. He clearly foretells the ingathering of the Gentiles, Isaiah 2. He foresees a new heaven and a new earth where Eden will be restored, Isaiah 65. His book justly has been called the Old Testament Gospel because of the comfort in which it abounds. Indeed, the prophet's greatest task is to, quote, comfort, comfort my people, Isaiah 40. Martin Luther found great significance in particular in Isaiah 28 and God speaking of his strange or alien work to terrify and, and to condemn, always being always in the service of his proper work to comfort and to forgive. 
Isaiah also is a mighty teacher of divine monergism, as God works alone. Quote, you have indeed done for us all your works, Isaiah 26. According to tradition, the great prophet met a martyr's death by being sawn in half. It is believed that Hebrews 11.37 refers to Isaiah, quote, they were sawn in two. He surely has joined in the company of those who ceaselessly hear the song of the seraphim, holy, 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 Isaiah 6. We pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through the prophet Isaiah, you continued the prophetic pattern of teaching your people the true faith and demonstrating through miracles your presence in creation to heal it of its brokenness. Grant that your church may see in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the final end times prophet, whose teaching and miracles continue in your church, through the healing medicine of the gospel and the sacraments. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lord, grant that the governance uh, that your governance may so peaceably order the course of this world, that your church may joyfully serve you in all godly quietness, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray today for the church and her pastors, for missionaries, teachers, deaconesses, musicians, and other servants of Christ in his church, for the fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. All right. We pray for the households of our church, especially that of Martin and Tara, Paul, Courtney, Doug, Jim and Deb, Robert. We give thanks to God for healing for Barb. Pray for our catechumens. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Dale, Pam, Joe, Melanie, Kelsey, Christopher, Marcy, Brad, Gus, Eileen, Ron, Doug, Bev, Jim, Pat, Wendell, and Darlene, our homebound Marcy, Marion, Dan, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. We pray for the mercy work of our community and our church, especially that of Safe Harbor in Sheboygan. Continue to pray in intercession for Dasha to find housing and for Matt's mom, Donna. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. That's the Congregation of Prayer for today, Thursday, July 6, 2023. Thanks for joining us live. And, uh, it's like a dozen folks or, or more are watching live, are listening live. Uh, of course, you can watch and listen later in the day as, um, as opportunity comes. Uh, as I said, I'll post last evening's sermon on the visitation for you at some point here today, so you can go catch that if you missed it last evening. All right. God be with you all. Keep you safe this day and always, and we'll see you again in the morning. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, 
support and give today.